it seems incredible that in the 21st century, there are places where loving freely is forbidden. According to the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Association, in 69 countries, being gay is a crime. One of those countries is Uganda. In 2014, an anti-gay law established life imprisonment for those who have gay relationships, despite at least 500,000 people belonging to the LGBT plus population, according to human rights organizations. Victims of homophobia claim that one of the reasons there is so much violence against them is the hatred that religious leaders have promulgated. It is estimated that at least 39% of the population is Roman Catholic, 32% is Anglican, and 13% is Muslim. Gays are frequently persecuted, threatened, and abused, even though many belong to these religions. After seeing the constant rejection, Pastor Ram Gaba, a gay man, decided to build a shelter for members of the LGBT plus community who want to profess their religion. Yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, it's called Adonai Inclusive Ministries, and it was started by uh, a, uh, like a gay man who used to be in a much more traditional church, but who didn't who didn't feel very accepted, who was outed by the pastor on, on the, in front of the whole church. And so he started Adonai Inclusive Ministries. And it's simply that. So it's an inclusive church that brings together, that welcomes LGBT people um, and is led by LGBT people as well. So there's, you know, trans people in the choir and like everybody's queer. This is Caleb Okereke. African journalist and founder of Minority Africa, an online publication that tells minority stories from across the continent. Uh, framework for people who are LGBT to, to continue to access, like, or have access to God or have access to spaces of worship, which is also like a hugely contended thing within the... Because there are people who say, if you're gay, you, you can't be Christian. So there's so much, like, and there's so many reasons why, that, why the story was so important. And it's like, it's a really, it's just, it's, it's here in Kampala, they meet every Sunday. According to Caleb, this is one of the stories he has most enjoyed telling since he created Minority Africa in 2019, partly because it highlights the essence of what he has always dreamed of, explaining how minorities are proposing solutions to build more inclusive societies. In the words of activist Angela Davis, how people are no longer accepting the things they cannot change, but changing the things they cannot accept. Welcome to our fourth chapter. My name is Laura Dulce Romero, and this time we will talk about what offers insights into solutions journalism. Since Caleb started his career as a journalist, he has been interested in minorities, especially LGBT and disability rights. Doing his first freelance jobs, he realized that firstly, there wasn't much content. And secondly, journalists didn't know how to cover them. 
And then I realized also that it just wasn't a problem with um, sexual minority or gender minority coverage. It was a problem that was spread across even the coverage of women, how the media covered women, how the media covered refugees as bodies in the system, as fleece in the system, which was also um, which I saw, because I mean, Uganda is one of the most uh, high, like highest refugee hosting countries in Africa. Um, I, I think the second like, highest in the world. So I really did see that refugee re representation as a body that's fleecing, as choking the system. Um, and then I realized it was also a problem with indigenous peoples and, and how the media covers them as outsiders and ethnic minorities and religious minorities as well. Just as Caleb was asking about minority coverage in the mainstream media, he won a fellowship in solutions journalism, which turned out to be a revelation. I, because I, like I felt even when we did have representation, it was always problematic, right? It was always from a problem-focused lens. It was always, I didn't think people were given it or like the media was given enough chance to show how minorities are responding right we know that for instance like lgbt there's like a crackdown on lgbt rights in uganda but we didn't know how the, the community was sort of resisting this crackdown and i think that's what i really wanted to tell like a, and solutions journalism seemed like a perfect fit to allow me to tell that and so i was like oh actually i would tell minority stories from a solutions journalism perspective and the name somehow, I think the name was in my notepad somewhere, I put the name together, but that was generally how the general idea came about. It didn't take long for him to realize that this approach could help him to eliminate the prejudices that society has about these populations by telling the story of how they organize themselves. And here comes the first big learning from solutions journalism the way it has managed to improve the relationship between minorities or marginalized communities and media. Tina Rosenberg, co-founder of the Solutions Journalism Network, sums up why this happens. They're very tired of being covered purely through the lens of a problem, um, especially black and brown communities, poor, uh, you know, low-income communities, they're usually only covered. Sometimes the only person who goes into that neighborhood is a crime reporter. And they, they hate that. They really want solution stories written. So it's actually very, very advantageous to be doing solutions journalism. A study called Engaging a Stigmatized Community Through Solution Journalism, Residents of South Los Angeles Respond, Explorer how Solutions Journalism Project was well-received by 48 Afro-American and Latino residents. They said that this approach offers more of a platform not just to discuss news, but to tell how can we get involved to try to change it or to try to make something different. Several participants suggested that the impact of the news would be greater if there was a follow-up coverage of the stories and if there were more opportunities for community input throughout the process. The contact has to begin before the stories. You have to be listening to the community and, and building relationships in the community. What are the solution stories we should be covering here? You ask them that and then involve them in the writing of the story involve them in the story after it comes out. But I think that's very easy to do with solutions journalism. Today, we see alarming cases. For example, according to the Reuters Institute 2021 Digital News Report, 71% of respondents in the United States said they do not trust the media. 
I'm sure you are thinking that audience distrust has many causes. And we agree on that. But a very important one is that people consider the media to be biased and that we tend to cover what happens in their communities in a skewed way because we don't know them. Um, I think it's important for, for a lot of reasons. One thing that we haven't talked about um, is the loss of local journalism. Um, a lot of small towns and counties, they are losing their trust in news sources at an alarming rate. And a lot of Americans do not trust national media. So that really creates a hole that I think solutions journalism can fill. I think solutions journalism is a great fit for community journalism, because uh, the problems in any one community are so unique to that place and those people that they want to see solutions that are springing up from within their own communities and being covered. She's Jamie Burger, managing editor at Fix, which is Grace Solutions Lab. Grace is a non-profit organization that tells the stories of climate change and that, through Fix, has tried to create a network of solutions builders, or fixers, as Grace called them. From her experience, she believes that solutions journalism not only brings audiences closer together, but also helps them to play a more active role, especially when it comes to a local stories. So I think that that space we kind of play in it is a bridge toward uh, sort of the experts on the ground doing the solutions and us translating it for an audience that wants to know that there are people addressing these problems when the government won't do anything. I think there's a sense that there's a lot of talk, um, but policy isn't budging enough. Policy is not moving fast enough to kind of get us out of this hole we've dug ourselves in. So what do we do? We look at uh, community organizations. We look at um, investors and where they're putting their money. We look at these things and we bring them together and we tell those stories to an audience um, that we hope mobilizes them to get involved too. One of the big criticisms from those who don't know about solutions journalism is that it can be seen only as a positive news. But during this research, after seeing several examples such as Freaks or Minority Africa, I've realized that one of the other great lessons of solutions journalism is that you don't just need to talk about tragedies to be a counterweight to power. Caleb explains this better with the case of minorities. Yeah, so I think because we're particularly doing minority rights, right, it means that no matter what we're doing sometimes, This, and it's really crucial for people to, to understand why we don't see minority stories. It, it's not just chance. It's not just discrimination. It's not just, it's, it's actually willful, right? There are systems and, and institutions in place that will continue to ensure that the voices of marginalized people are si like are silenced. And these systems and these institutions sometimes do not even care what these voices are saying. They just don't want to see these voices represented on screen, right? For many reasons, moral reasons, legal reasons, or just simply because they think people should just be silenced. So I think when we, when we do understand how ingrained in the system the lack of representation that we see is, we know, of course, that whatever tries to counter that representation, whether it's solutions journalism or investigative journalism, they will be pushed back to it, right? So whether or not we're investigating 
violations of an indigenous group somewhere on the continent, or we're just simply reporting on how that indigenous group is thriving regardless, the, the, like, like the system itself is designed to sort of like prevent that group from like from getting any level of access or any level of representation whatsoever. So those tools really do not care about whether it's so sojo or whether it's investigative journalism. They just care about the fact that this group is getting media time. That's why solutions journalism is there to show that even though we have many unsolved problems, communities are resisting and working every day to make the world a little more just and sustainable. Yeah, so I would say we we defer primarily because I think when people come to a site, they feel they feel good. That's the first thing that I also want people to feel. To be honest, I think when people come to read the minority Africa story, they feel there's a sense of of hope. And I think sometimes when people hear like minority Africa, they come and then they expect to see people I don't know blood or like people dying or people suffering, which I know. All of which is true, right? There's no, there's no saying that that's not true. I think when they, like, when they come to a site, they, they feel happy, right? They feel, they feel. That's just my assumption. And also, what I've heard from like one, but like, but like, that's the intent. That that's what we're trying to achieve. We're trying to achieve holistic representation, right? We're trying to achieve representation that's not one-sided, which is basically the whole story. Just as did Pastor Ram Gaba in Uganda with his LGBT plus charge. 